Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Get ready for the school year with Yumiko's annual back-to-school sale. Mix and match however you'd like within the basic collection, and upon purchasing two Leos, receive the third completely free. Whether you need black, burgundy, green, rose, or white, they have a handful of different styles to choose from. Kids and men's items are available to order too. Yumiko is also excited about its virtual shopping events through Instagram Live. Two hosts showcase exclusive in-store options available to ship immediately with different promotions offered at each session. If you haven't tuned in yet, be sure to check it out. The options shown are not available online, so it's the perfect opportunity to snag a unique Yumi at a discount. For more information on the back-to-school sale, live events, and summer stock availability, stay connected at yumiko.com and at yumiko on Instagram. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week, we welcome Pacific Northwest Ballet Artistic Director Peter Boll back to the podcast. We first spoke with Peter in March of 2017 for a fantastic conversation surrounding his career and directorship. To tune in to episode 36 with Peter, click the link in the description of this episode. Today, we catch up with Peter to hear about his experience leading PNB through the COVID-19 pandemic, how the dancers are safely and creatively returning to the studios to work, and about the incredible virtual programming that PMB has been curating exclusively for Ballet Sun Valley. On August 23rd at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, tune in to Ballet Sun Valley's exclusive one-night-only streaming event featuring PMB. Today, Peter gives us a preview of the works we will be seeing and how these pieces are being filmed, especially for this event. For more information on how to register to have the performance streamed to your home, visit balletsunvalley.org. Thank you so much for joining us, Peter. Um, it's really our pleasure to have you back. Uh, you were one of our first guests ever, and now we realize that that was a whole three and a half years ago. So we're, we're glad to have you back on. Yeah, happy to be here. So why don't we just start with um, 
sort of a, a catch up. So what, what are some of the things in the past few years uh, that you've been really proud to um, sort of see PMB through or some of the, the big markers for you about what PMB has accomplished in the past few years? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we're very excited about, this is actually sort of the inaugural season, but we brought in our first resident choreographer, mm-hmm. and that's Alejandro Cerruto. And it feels a little bit like, you know, there's no wind in the sails because there really isn't a company for Alejandro to be working with. Mm-hmm. But he did a piece for Hubbard Street, um, it was almost a decade ago, called 1,000 Pieces. And it was a really massive piece for him. I think the biggest piece he had made at the time. And I had been curious about it and wanted to see PNB do it. And um, he came, he staged it. It took about eight weeks in total. Um, we were all set to go. And that ended up being the last thing that we did. We filmed the dress rehearsal. I think it was on March 12th or March 13th. And we couldn't open. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But it was very symbolic for us because it was this new chapter. It was this massive piece. Our dancers loved every moment in the studio with him. And it became you know, a new beginning and also the beginning of the hiatus. Um, mm-hmm. But but there's more, Alejandro's um, making incredible work. He's committed to this relationship with PNB. So I think that's a symbol of the future is the commitment is there from composers and choreographers and dancers and patrons and audiences. And we're just going to find a way. I mean, it's like we're finding the way to have this conversation. It's it's not less, um, it's not more, it's just another path. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you guys filmed that rehearsal, right, in order to keep it as a memory, to give the dancers that feeling of still performing, even though you knew you couldn't have an audience? Yeah. And luckily, we do a good job of filming our dress rehearsals. Um, my experience at New York City Ballet, like, people ask me what the dress rehearsals were like. I was like, we didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were still learning the steps and then the curtain went up and there was a costume on and that was it. Right. But um, ours are full hair, full makeup, mm-hmm. um, full costume, you know, no warmers or anything. We, we really try not to stop. The orchestra is playing. We're filming with two cameras. So it, it really is a high level um, night before the opening night. And it feels like a performance. We also invite, um, I'd say about 800 to 1,000 people are there for the dress rehearsals. So there's that sort of energy that you actually right. have a crowd that's cheering. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we did that, and then we released it to subscribers and said, mm-hmm. um, we're sorry you're not joining us in the theater, but this is really the next best thing. And right. people took it as a, as a really dear memory, and they were thrilled to get it. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to keep filming and distributing yeah. see where we go. So that obviously has been one way that a lot of ballet companies have um, – sort of found a, a new path for sharing what they do. So what, what was the sort of digital infrastructure like at PNB before? And how did you um, sort of very quickly get it up to a place where you could um, be sharing uh, a lot of digital content for your subscribers and audience members? Yeah, we're so lucky because I think we did a decent job of filming and distributing, but mm-hmm. um, our theater, the McCall Hall, where we're one of two primary tenants, uh, we share it with the opera. Mm-hmm. And then the city is sort of the third part of that. The city owns it. But they realized the problem at hand and all of their outside clients, they, they wanted to serve ballet, opera and outside clients. So they retrofitted their stage to really be like a film studio. Mm-hmm. So you can use the entire footprint of the stage. You can use the wings. 
Um, we're dismantling one arena that's um, very short distance from us and building a new one. And they brought all the camera equipment over from the arena. And they also brought the camera people. So these are people that are used to catching sports. Um, so they're great at following human bodies. I'm so worried like a ball is going to bounce across when we're filming and they're all going to follow the ball or the puck or something. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully they'll stay on the dancers. And um, <laughs> it's been an amazing tool because the, the theater is allowing us to work in there without paying sort of a standard rent for the day. And they're providing these cameramen and they're providing the whole um, setup to look at the video as it's happening live. So through that, we're gonna film some content and I think it'll look as good as it can. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll start to distribute to our patrons. We had a lot of people purchase subscriptions. And then of course we have this opportunity to show a film for Sun Valley. So we're filming mm -hmm. content for that very soon. Um, and you know, as I said, it's the next best thing. Right. right. You definitely want to get there for uh but first let's let's still dig in a little bit more with what that um what those early days were like when you were starting to consider what sort of effect um the COVID-19 pandemic would have on Pacific Northwest Ballet and what what you were uh exploring is how you were going to keep the company afloat and and care for the dancers at the same time. Yeah, there I think many companies have had a similar path. Um, you know, Im immediately we put together a PNB relief fund, mm -hmm. and we're actually transforming the branding of that fund to become a PNB future fund um, because there's a message with relief that it's sort of a dire emergency, and mm -hmm. we're really looking forward now and trying to figure out how we can be a strong institution three years out, five years out, ten years out. Mm -hmm. Right. But um, immediately we sort of comb through archival footage. Uh, we had that wonderful film of 1000 pieces by Alejandro. Um, but we pulled together our archival. We wanted to round it out as much as possible. So I may have mentioned that after every show I do a post-performance question and answer session with the dancer. Mm -hmm. We continued that through Zoom. So we just sort of tagged those on. Mm -hmm. um, my assistant, Doug, is also in charge of audience education. So he did a pre-show conversation. You guys have had a dialogue with him as well. We've correct? talked to Doug a few times. Doug is yeah, the best. Yes, He's uh, great. An amazing resource for us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, ho and he's going to continue to do that. Um, mm -hmm pre-show conversation for the remainder for this coming season. But all those pieces to round it out so that people's experience in the theater felt as matched by what we were able to provide online. Right. So the content has been free so far, right. and we're going to start to charge for that as we move into the new season. Right. But just to get, um, you know, and everybody I called uh, from the Balanchine Trust to our founding artistic directors, Ken Stoll and Francia Russell, mm -hmm. to you know, Justin Peck to Jessica Lang to Donald Byrd to every choreographer that we've been working with recently just to ask them, can we do this? And even the designer who lives in France and the composer who lives in Israel. And um, everybody said, yes, no charges. This is a time when we have to be generous. And, it, right. and even the unions that we've dealt with have been so generous because everybody gets it. I mean, that's right. the thing is you don't need to explain what's happening. People understand audiences need this connection to art, but also they understand the financial ramifications, which, you know, I, I don't want to dwell on that, but they're massive when right. you think of every American company not having that revenue from Nutcracker alone. Right. Um, and, and it's just rough. So people are pitching in, in in a great way that's encouraging. Yeah. So how has it been for the dancers? Of course, we know dancers across the country, across the world are struggling, not being able to be in the studio for long periods of time, being laid off. How are you kind of balancing them and making sure that they were in touch with whatever resources 
resources they needed and kind of taking care of their well-being during this time as well? Yeah, I think what everybody needs to do at this point, it's interesting how institutional structures have shifted because there used to be a philosophy that somebody knew, somebody in a leadership capacity made decisions and said what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it would be a mistake to retain that sort of hierarchical structure. Um, so, so dancers reached out with great suggestions um, on every front, sort of taking care of me. So, and of course, how the institution stands in the world today. What is our stance on systemic racism and what are we doing to speak to that? publicly. Um, but, but a couple dancers said, what are we doing about mental health for us and for every member of our staff? What, what kind of resources are you able to provide in that capacity? And it wasn't in a demanding way. It was just, we're suffering. Right. We're at home. We're disconnected. We don't have all of these resources. Mm-hmm. A lot of people realize that so much happens when I walk down the hall or Doug walks down the hall or the head of the costume job, like so much communication is based on, Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. And mm-hmm. yes. And suddenly that was all interrupted right. and people just, just felt so alone and so frustrated because as you two know, our identities as humans at some point in our lives is completely connected to if we're dancing or not. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was me because of how I moved and danced. Right. And I remember those days that an injury struck and I was like, I'm not even me anymore. Right. Like me on crutches doesn't exist. And, and just to put people, I remember um, having conversations with the dancer and a couple conversations in, I was like, you're in your bathroom. So, <laughs> and we had somebody in a shed. We had a student in a hard floor garage because there wasn't room in her studio apartment. Right. But you know, we provided as many mental health resources as we can. We did a a series of sort of all staff meetings or town hall meetings Mm -hmm. and providing smaller groups for dialogue where needed. Mm -hmm. And the same goes beyond the dancers, just for everybody. People, Mm -hmm. people wanted to see each other and to talk and to know that, that, they were being thought of and cared for. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like just walking down the hallway, it's that whole building. I'm sure this it's like the same as at Miami City Ballet. There's so many people you don't even realize that you see every day, you know, yeah. just like walking past them saying hi. And to have that whole system broken apart must be ugh, a real challenge for them, for everyone. Right. And I think dancers in particular, I don't know if they acknowledge this, but you know how our lives are filled with the people that we hug mm-hmm. <laughs> and those close family members. and. Dancers, of course, have that. But even the partnering and the proximity is such mm-hmm. a part of their pattern just to right. move with other humans in that symbiotic way. And that, that too, was denied. Right, right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, you've already brought this up now, but um, PMB's response to the sort of um, really life-altering protests that have just sparked across the nation um, in response to George Floyd's death. Um, and as our nation has sort of reconsidered racial disparities and injustices, then ballet companies as well have been forced to sort of reconsider and acknowledge how, um, how much they've lacked uh, diversity and being um, inclusive. So w- what is PMB doing to sort of respond and, and change and um, make the, the ballet world a better place in that way? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I think the the great realization was that so many of us in ballet had been thinking that we were doing enough. Mm -hmm. 
we had been, everybody had formed a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee. Um, everybody was having broad scale dialogues with other organizations about this issue. I, I, I think people were moving in the right direction, but suddenly, I mean, for lack of a better expression, I think ballet, classical ballet, large ballet institutions woke up, pulled their head out of the sand and said, oh, I am part of a systemic issue. Right. And I thought I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just on, on me, I'm basically this whole company I've hired. And, and why, why is the company not not diverse at this point why are there so few black dancers in our company and then you obviously move to the next what about our faculty what what about our students what about our board of trustees what does our audience look like and and then well what about the choreographers And, and you just start to go down the list and you have this realization that you have not been doing nearly enough to move the needle and 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 we have some really dear friends and consultants that have reached out and said exactly what I just said. <laughs> you have not been doing enough to move the needle. And, and you can't do this over a prolonged period of a decade. There are steps that you could take tomorrow. Right. Um, and, and too many steps tomorrow may be missteps. So there, there has to be both plans. There has mm-hmm. to be a long-term plan and there has to be an immediate plan. But one one good thing that PNB has done is I threw all the programs out the window because we can't do them. We can't mm-hmm. do the full lengths. We can't do rep one. We were going to open with jewels. And so we've had to recalibrate. The, our rep one now is a series of solos. We have a couple of duets. I have a few really well socially distanced things we can do. But mm-hmm. I've been able to, in rep one, I think we have 13 excerpts. And suddenly when you're representing 13 choreographers, you can go back and say, okay, this is a time when I can bring more female choreographers into this mix. This is a time when there's black artists whose voices can get amplified through my programming in Rep One. It's mm-hmm. it's a small step, but it's an important step. So suddenly our Rep One is not representing just George Balanchine, but there's Donald Byrd and there's Albert Evans and there's Jessica Lang and there's, mm-hmm. and the list goes on and, that's what our company should have done in the first place. And we've been afforded this chance to, to look at it again and say it could have been different, it could have been better, and we can make that change right now. Right. I love that you brought up that it's not just about visibility in the ranks of the dancers, that you know, you're, you're looking at your audience and your board and your students, because I think it's, it's a very easy sort of um, band-aid to slap over it, to be like, Oh, look, and now we have three black dancers. Check that off. But it's actually, it has to be a part of the whole culture of the company, not just what you're seeing on stage. I I think you can make a mistake by trying to apply a Um, Mm Band-Aid. I think to jump to trying to fix it, trying to go out and hire black dancers to check a box, if it's not for the right reason, it's going to backfire. That individual is going to feel that they were hired for a certain reason and not for who they were as an individual, as an artist, as a dancer. And I, I think the investment has to be authentic and sincere, and there's no reason why it can't be, um, but, it, but it has to be made. Right. right. So um, before we 
started recording today, you were mentioning that the dancers are back in the studio and they must be working on this rep one that you have put together. That sounds really wonderful. Tell us a little bit about what that shift has been like welcoming this, uh, the dancers back into the studios. Um, I think the first word that comes to mind is nervous. We've gone through so many return to work protocols and we've just been refining them. And, you know, you leave your shoes in the hall and then you put your slippers on when you step onto the Marley. So nothing from the, and it's just like the details that we've gone through. Yeah. Are really tremendous. Everybody signs in with the pen from the clean cup and puts Mm -hmm. it in the pen. That's the dirty pen cup. Uh Actually, as of um, Monday, we have a return to work app, which is mandatory for everybody who comes in the building. They need to fill it out on their own 90 minutes before they come in and they check off a, a series of questions, which right. we know nothing about their answers, but we do get sort of a green check that they're cleared to come into work. So, How did you kind of put all this together? Did you work with the healthcare system? Who did you work with? Yeah, to develop we have all these some friends in our county healthcare system that have been advising us. We have a board member who works for a law firm who was developing this app for the law firm mm-hmm. and she suggested it and it, it translated really well. So wow. yeah, it saves a lot on the sort of email dialogue, but, um, right. but when they came in, they're in pods of, um, I think the largest pod that I have has five dancers in it right now. And we never have more than four dancers in a room at a time. We've divided the room into quadrants, so everybody has their own quadrant. And I, I want to give a shout out to Jessica Lang, who is here right now making a new piece. And every day I would text Jessica and I'd say, you know, can you work in quadrants? Is it okay if I only have three people? And her husband, Kanji Sagawa, who's assisting her, I'm like, he's got to leave the room if you want four people. <laughs> uh-huh. The piano is in another room, sort of leaning around the corner to oh follow. God. And it's it's just, Jessica, I've been, you know, like, can you work behind a plexiglass wall? Every time I've asked her a question, she said, I can do it. I'll so, do it. <laughs> she's making the most beautiful work this week. And it's it's incredible to see it come to, together. Well, I just think that the level of creativity that you've put into this to make it work is just so impressive. I, I mean, I, I, a lot of companies, I think, are just like, you know, we're just going to hang it up until we can go back to some sort of normal. But I think yeah. that's so brilliant that you're able to. And for the dancers, I think it just must mean oh. so much to them. So another shout out to Agma because they worked really hand in hand with us. And, mm-hmm. and I think everybody had the shared goal. But dancers contributed. There's open dialogues. And we had a team on our end that was pretty incredible with how meticulous and how thorough and how committed they were, but that's how we got there. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how does that work too? I mean, we're not from an Agma company, so I'm curious <laughs> with the, um, like with the procedures, do you submit them to Agma? Agma talks to the dancers, the dancers are like, we feel comfortable. Is it something like that that's going through? Yeah. And we actually received a survey that Agma and our Agma reps who are dancers in the company had distributed to all dancers and it just had four questions, but it was levels of comfort. Mm -hmm. So we have dancers that to start would like to work from home through zoom. We have other dancers that would come in, but they, they are only comfortable being in a room alone. Mm -hmm. And we have dancers that are comfortable being in these pods of four. Um, So we're, we're meeting people where they are nobody is is rushed into a situation that they don't feel safe with. And and I think that's the only way we could go. Yeah. I I think it's, that's something that I think within our own regular lives, we've all had to sort of respect and appreciate what everyone's individual comfort level is. Cause I think I I know like within my family and friends, it like runs the gamut. It's the whole thing. You know, some people are just like, 
very fine and comfortable and some people want to stay locked down until we have a vaccine and that's your prerogative. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's so great that you're respecting that for each person. Yeah. The funny thing is the pods of four or five, they have conversations. They're like, okay, you do not go to a restaurant this month. <laughs> like, and, and they just, you know, you have to have that shared trust. You have to have that understanding because you're going to enter a room with these people. They, they are in the room together for a month. They, that's mm-hmm. always their room. Um, they won't see any other dancers except their pod. Right. And Jessica moves from one studio and when she wants to work with the other pod, she goes to them. Mm-hmm. So you have like your own little mini NBA bubbles for each of your little, yeah. each of your yeah. dancers, dancing <laughs> groups. I love that. So um, cool. So you mentioned a little bit earlier, and one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is about Ballet Sun Valley. You're doing a stream PMB on Ballet Sun Valley's social media accounts on August 23rd. Tell us a little bit about, you were supposed to go to the festival, and then of course it got canceled. What made you interested to go to the festival in the first place with the company? Yeah, I'll start with, we had two tours this summer. We don't tour a lot. They were really tours that we were so excited about and fond of. A big one to the Coke Theater in New York that was Mm -hmm. canceled, and we hope that happens again. But for years, I had been sort of circling around Sun Valley. They built a beautiful pavilion um, where they have outdoor dance, and it the materials are incredible. The setting is incredible. The mountain air, um, the way it feels from the audience perspective. Dancers have really enjoyed being on that stage. They have an opportunity for live music. They could have mm-hmm. up to 21 musicians. And the festival built very quickly. Um, San Francisco Ballet has participated twice. And um, many dancers from American Ballet Theater have been there. Um, Trey McIntyre's company had performed there several times. So it was starting to build this reputation. Um, just when we got in and sort of got this tour, um, companies started raining down asking to be part of this festival. And their mm-hmm. list is astounding from the Mariinsky to Miami is one that's wow. been wow. wanting to be in on the festival mm-hmm. and New York City Ballet as well has been trying to get in. Sure so it's, awesome. it's becoming a really coveted touring spot. It's not that far from Seattle. It's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you probably wouldn't drive. It's about an eight hour drive from Seattle, but a lot of Seattleites are there and they were keeping me posted as the pavilion was being built and as Sun Valley as San Francisco was touring there they would call me and say why aren't we touring there <laughs> I was getting internal pressure I had attended the festival twice I just thought it was really well run and a, a great place for us um, so I had been sort of campaigning to be included and we were looking forward to it but um, again we're going to do the best we can for them this summer yeah. So what were some of the ideas that you started to bandy about, about how you could still make a connection with them work uh, digitally? Yes. I mean, the ideas were like, you know, sand castles that we built on the beach and then one by one, they would get washed away. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh. um, you know, we were thinking of a group of us traveling there to be present, to mm-hmm. introduce. Um, they are going to show our filmed performance on their lawn. They have a Mm -hmm. huge public lawn, which is part of the theater seating. They have jumbotrons there. Um, They have, you can sort of purchase six by six squares if you're alone, and then you can get a 12 by 12 if you're a group of two. And so they've addressed the social distancing issue and they're hoping to have a big crowd on that lawn. Um, We'll be there in this format. I'll greet people um, through a a pre-filmed recording. And then We have each dancer, there are many dancers that are introducing individual pieces, and also um, Benjamin Millipier will introduce his choreography. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we did Alexei Ratmansky's Don Quixote, where he has an actor play Don Quixote. And that actor is Tom Skerritt, who's done a number of films throughout his life. So he'll introduce Don Quixote. And um, just, just wanting to get that immediacy. Um, and then the introductions will be about a minute. Um, Lita Biasucci is doing the solo from Emeralds. And it's actually the first time she's ever done it. She's been in Emeralds in the Pas de Trois, but she's never done this um, Violet Verdi solo. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a debut for her, and she's going to talk about how it's an unusual debut, but it'll be for the <laughs> Sun Valley audience. So uh-huh. we're, we're trying to make it as fresh and real and as live as we can through mm-hmm. as technology allows. That's so cool. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about how you choose rep for different situations. As I, I imagine that when you um, were planning to go to Valley Sun Valley, it, it's not the same uh, ideas that you put into a full season for your subscription audience that knows you through and through. And then, of, of course, you had to make another adjustment once it was going to become uh, an online uh, deal. So how does that, how do these different situations affect the rep that you choose to present? Yeah, the, I mean, I think we retained quite a bit of the rep. It just moved to being archival. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of things we did lose, though. I was really looking forward to reviving Apollo this season. It's a ballet that I stage. I had some casts that just seemed like it was their time to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were doing that in Sun Valley. And initially, I was really excited about Apollo because, you know, as we looked at different guidelines for how to program um, in the era of COVID, a ballet with four dancers seemed like it would be possible. Um, right. Also, we're talking about a, a essentially outdoor setting in Sun Valley, though it's covered, but you know, mm-hmm. there's open air. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be possible, but then there's proximity issues with how close people would have to come. You two know Apollo, but you can't do it without all the heads. Distance or with mm-hmm. a mask, it just, it just wouldn't be possible. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I was sorry to let that go um, for our, virtual gala that we're preparing i will do one solo from apollo um two solos and a pas de deux. so there's a little bit of that that's kept and we're able to do that mm-hmm. um but I, I, it, the other thing that happened was i had some things planned for um i'll just name the dancers names but for mm-hmm. sarah ricard and seth orza and a lot of the couples that are living together it's like the golden ticket there's right. something yeah. <laughs> so popular because uh-huh. you can actually do pas de deux. Mm-hmm. um and seth and sarah were doing quite a bit they were going to do this wonderful pas de deux that benjamin Millipier created from appassionata and they were the the original cast anyway mm-hmm. um and then sarah in the midst of all this with her daughter at home and the need for homeschooling said i'm gonna need to retire so she's retired so there went a passionata, um, oh, and no. my other cast is wonderful, um, but she's she's married to the lighting designer and not to a fellow dancer, so <laughs> I can't put the lighting designer out there in the pod. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you know, there are those things, and some of them are almost funny um, because you can't believe how it changes each day. Right. Um, luckily, today with Jerome welcoming his daughter into the world, um, we had been thinking about this, and his cover exists in the same pod. So his cover is going to emerge from the studio where he'd been watching the whole ballet on Zoom, and he's going to step into the ballet today. 
um, but he's already in that pod, so we're in the clear. So. That's oh it's so a lot complicated, of but it, it's just so great that it can happen like that, and that uh, yeah. you know everyone can feel safe, but still moving forward and still creating art. I think it's just wonderful. So it's wonderful, but I have this great fear that we're going to be the poster child for companies that went too fast. No, <laughs> it's, it <laughs> sounds like you're being so careful, though. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so far, so far, yeah. it's working. Mm-hmm. And what's is everything good in Seattle right now? I don't, I, you know, I, I'm just look at Cuomo's numbers every day for New York city, but <laughs> yeah. um, how are things going? Mixed. We're in the middle. I mean, okay. there, there are times that we're doing well and there are times that we are not. And, you know, it all goes back to the trust. Um, when Jessica got off the um, airplane at SeaTac airport, she was uh, surprised at how many people were seated in restaurants and their proximity and people right. didn't have masks. And so we have our share of that. Mm-hmm. But um, Washington State is a lower population. Um, we're all about the parks and the outdoors here, and people, you know, kayak for a good time rather than go to a movie theater. So, <laughs> so we're doing okay. Well, that's good. good. It's like you didn't already have enough challenges creating repertoire and programming to begin with, and now to add this onto it. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. So are all the things that we will be seeing for Bally Sun Valley, are they all filmed specifically for this event, or will we be seeing some archival footage as well? Yes, there's a mix. It's sort of a hybrid version of archival and filmed live. Um, And the live pieces are, are... I don't know how many pieces are in the program altogether, but Jessica Lang made a wonderful solo called The Calling. Um, So we'll be seeing that solo. And then the Emerald solo that I mentioned with Lita. And then um, there's a potida called Sylvia Potida. And it's choreographed by one of our dancers, Kyle Davis. Mm-hmm. And before all this happened, um, it's really hard to dance. It's sort of like chai squared. It's just, it keeps <laughs> going. It's so hard. And I said, Kyle, you know, um, I don't think anyone can dance this but you. So I cast him in his own pot of it. Um, and he's living with a wonderful dancer um, who you may know, Sarah Gabrielle Ryan. Mm-hmm. And she she's ready for this challenge as well. So the two of them have been working two hours every single day. We actually brought them back a week before the rest of the company to prepare for this because it's Damn so enough. hard. Mm-hmm. So it's pot of it, it's variations, it's coda, um, it runs the gamut. Yeah, And the other piece we're doing, we had a work choreographed last November by a choreographer who's really in-house. She teaches choreography for our school and mm-hmm. her name is Eva Stone. And she made a piece called Foil. It involves three women. And there is a section where the three women had touched each other's backs, but Eva's willing to re-choreograph it. And we're mm-hmm. going to socially distance those three. It's quite beautiful. It's just a fleeting moment. It's several minutes but they're all filmed from the back. So the entire thing is just really watching the backs with a beautiful glow on them. The way we've costumed them too, their backs look completely like they don't have anything on and in mm-hmm. truth they do. And then they have really voluminous gold tulle skirts that go all the way to the floor. And, and the way it's lit, it just has this aura to it. And it feels, everybody sort of went, had that sigh moment after mm-hmm. the piece in the theater. And it's done to um, Clara Schumann's music. And I'm, I'm glad we're able to contribute to it because it's going to feel very fresh and real mm-hmm. and also wonderfully atmospheric. Wow. That sounds beautiful. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Um, your dancers are so lucky to be back in the studios. I'm sure they are just thrilled to be doing this and that you're honoring any position that they're at in this time mm-hmm. of uncertainty. And we're so looking forward to seeing them, seeing them dance. It's going to be so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking forward to it too. And, 
you know, I mean, our audience has needs. They're people that have just, I think PNB, and I should extend that to the arts in general, have just become essential parts of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And in times of stress um, or depression or euphoria, um, you look to the arts. They, mm-hmm. they represent your emotions and they tap into your emotions in an even deeper way. Right. And to deny people that outlet and that means of expression and fulfillment, um, that's our job is to make sure that that's still there for people mm-hmm. and that, that they, it's, it's part of who they are and they shouldn't be denied that piece of their identity at this time. Right. So I think for our last question, um, I'd like to know, is there something, um, are, are there changes that you've made now that even if we waved a magic wand and went back to the are are normal that you would like to keep uh, things that you think will be helpful, uh, beneficial moving on to the future, regardless of this being over or not. So I love the shift in power structure. Mm-hmm. I, I think this company operated on that premise more than many others already, but this has been an endorsement that that was the right path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I've had one-on-one dialogues with many of the black students in our upper levels in our school. And the listening has been essential. And then the action on my part after listening and learning is the next piece that is essential. Even the dialogue with our dancers about how we are comfortable returning to work. We could not have returned to work without everybody. And what if we had done it differently? What if we had said, listen, it's your job. You're being paid. Show up. Come back. It never could have happened that way. Mm -hmm. And the changes that I'm making to programming and will continue to make to program and that we will make to every single fiber of our institution. And that's going on all across the country and perhaps the world. um, It's great. Let's keep that. Let's keep right. all of that because we, we have no alternative. Um, and also it's, it's exciting and rewarding. It's not like we have to, it's, mm-hmm. we want to. Right. And, and, you know, I always think that we are all students. You don't stop becoming a student. And I've never felt like more of a student. I've never felt like I've learned more than I have in the last five months. Right. And the education is welcome and warranted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's just so great. And I, I love that uh, something as distressing as a once in a century pandemic can actually cause some positive uh, forward movement. Um, I don't want to let you think that I haven't had moments of extreme trauma. <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little glorified. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's been rough, but oh, um, I'm sure you got to see it. You got to see the whole picture and, and mm-hmm. you, you have to step back and question and question yourself and your institution and your history. Um, I think we're all doing that. Thank you so much, Peter. We really appreciate it. It was always fun to talk to you. We had the most fun last time. You guys are amazing. I love talking with you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's important. So thank you. Thank you so, so so much, much. Peter. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the conversations on dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. 
Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com slash support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.